Welcome to The Vinyl Preacher, your weekly podcast where we talk about the Bible and make a playlist. I'm Matt Cato, pastor at St. Mark's Lutheran Church in Los Angeles, California. And I'm Zach Barris. I'm the pastor of Lutheran Campus Ministry at the University of Colorado uh, Boulder. And I'm on as a guest today. My name is Chris Hevner, and I am a retired ELCA Lutheran pastor. Used to do campus ministry at Clemson University. Uh, currently uh, having the honor of serving as interim at St. Um, at, at St. Michael's Lutheran Church in Greenville, South Carolina. Awesome. Welcome. Welcome, welcome. Are, did you want to... Yeah, I believe we have, Matt, um, if I can if I can set this up. Uh, we struggled. You know, last year was our best Advent ever. You know, we've had a number of different Advents. We had an Advent the first year, Matt, when you were on uh, mm-hmm. paternity leave. We brought in guests every week that was the previous from best uh, one places around there. the country. Okay. That was the okay. previous best one. And then the, the uh, penultimately best one was uh, uh, an advent of Dolly Parton last year. That was incredible uh, on God debt. Sunday we had Michelle Bolt come in with her um, vote of candles of Dolly Parton. And this year we couldn't top it. We didn't know what to do. Uh, And so halfway through Advent Map, I've come up with a plan. A seasonal theme of of, for these next two Sundays in Advent, we are going to be squashing beef uh, here on the podcast. Uh, to set it up for our listeners who maybe are listening for the first time, uh, Pastor Christmas is here, as my daughter calls him, and uh, he took some offense because Matt told a story about going to this Lindsey Graham's office. That happened. And he said that Chris walked into the office and said, I would like to talk to my dear friend, Lindsey Graham. And uh, Chris took some offense with the, with the implication that he is a deep, close, personal friend. Of Lindsey Graham, and he wanted yeah. to come on the podcast to, yeah, to clear I, I this up. I thought it was only fair that I had equal time. I I would like to point out that yes, I am well known in Mr. Graham's office, uh, but for the reasons <laughs> that uh, they would tend to bring a smile to most of your listeners' face rather than a look of disgust, right? So, actually, Mr. Graham um, has been a frequent uh, worshiper at uh, University of Lutheran Church in Clemson, or was. When he was first when he was first running for the uh, U.S. House, and then when he ran for Senate for the first time, his campaign manager uh, was a very active member of that congregation. And so when each of those kids came through and were confirmed, he was there. Um, and so I, I actually, Lindsay, I've been on a plane with Lindsay a couple times, flying back and forth from D.C., and he does recognize who I am. So I, I do know him. Um, <laughs> Unfortunately, uh, wow, what a turn of events. I thought this was going to be a repudiation of Matt, but you've come on to really well, say, actually, actually I, I do know him, you know, you know I do know yeah, him. No, well, a good I buddy. he's a good buddy. I said, I know who he is. And uh, I will have to say that his, uh, the same woman uh, and her, whose daughter is still on his staff here in South Carolina, uh, came into the art co-op where my wife is uh, an artist here a few weeks ago. And um, they didn't have much to say to my wife. And I pointed out that it probably didn't help that the emails that they send, that she sends to Lindsay are not nearly as nuanced as mine. And um, so she pretty much does uh, vocalize how we how we sort of feel about that. You know, the interesting thing, and, and this is really a good theological conversation, actually. You know, it's um, Lindsay, Unlike Lindsay, our usual you know, um, early on had some scruples and sort of stood for what he believes in but then over a period of time as we all know sort of capitulated um 
there's all kinds of rumors that you learn about uh, a U.S. senator when they're uh, a local boy. Um, and, you know, those rumors don't matter a lot to us. And so we keep trying to say uh, to Mr. Graham, don't worry about somebody shedding bad stuff that you did during your college and youth, you know. Uh, but something that now something somebody's got something on him that seems to really, really be scaring him and frightening him, you know. And so how do you let somebody feel comfortable enough with who they are that they don't have to pretend to be something that they are not? So but yes, Matt, you're absolutely right. I've been to his office a number of times. I've taken college students there a number of times. We knock on the door. We go in. We uh, we schmooze. A lot of his staff members are former Clemson students, and so sometimes wow. we'll know them that way. And um, and so I was delighted the day that you and I went to the uh, to the Capitol <laughs> to lobby that. Uh, you know, um, I had a reputation before I got there. You know, so <laughs> I was impressed. I was really impressed. <laughs> Matt, I want you to take me to Mayor Garcetti's <laughs> office one day, and I want, I want the staff to be like, Matt, oh, it's good to see you. My councilman's office might do that. I might be able to do my local city councilman. That's about as far up as I can get. So I'll work on U.S. Senator. We'll, well see. Well, up and down are relative terms. I mean, what do we mean by up? You know, I mean, we're talking about people that we admire, you know. <laughs> I, I, my favorite politician is a woman whose campaign I worked on uh, this last go round uh, for South Carolina House. Um, she did not win. Uh, Eunice Laymacher, active member of University of Lutheran Church. I don't want to cast any stones here. Um, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not, not close to Eunice uh, support the campaign. Uh, but this podcast does have something of a, you know, a bump. Uh, Golden Touch, we are kingmakers. Uh, the only po- the, the only politician who uh, came on the podcast won their race, uh, Sarah, for Iowa. So, I mean. We'll get her on here to you. There are some simple things you can do to win. True. Races, we have a deep, and one of them is come on this podcast. We have a debrief meeting on Tuesday. I'll make sure and mention that to, to Eunice so that when we plan the uh, 2022 campaign, we'll tell her. She's got to be a guest on Vinyl Preacher. And especially if she happens to be running in Honduras. <laughs> We're really popular there. <laughs> Only 83rd. I still got to get up to 82. <laughs> <laughs> But you, you worked on the campaign? Yes, uh, I was, she, she's an active member of the congregation, like I say. And so early on, as we had conversations, we're a heavily Republican uh, district. In fact, in the areas where we had a chance for people to get to know her, she did quite well. But then you get to the other parts of the county where people just, in South Carolina, we're one of three states where you can do a straight party ticket. And so I know there was one precinct where there were 620 votes for the other person and, and three for Eunice. And so we're pretty sure all of those were straight uh Republican uh, votes that went down the way, um, but it was it was really eye opening. It gave me a chance to. I love politics. I, th- I think they're very important, and we all need to be definitely involved and engaged in them. It gave me a chance to be on a couple of phone calls with her and some of the lead South Carolina groups, and some of the um, uh, there's a group of, of women uh, working together to try and get more female representation in South Carolina politics. And so I I only had the chance to listen in while those conversations were happening, but it reminded me again of the importance not simply of um, the people who get elected, but all the people who do run and the ways in which that makes a difference. And so um, now I'm the old man talking to your group, millennials, you know, and, and trying to continue this encouragement to be involved in politics and to be involved in voting and to, and to know that it, it does sway things. And we, we unfortunately do wait until it's time to vote in presidential cycles, usually before we get involved. But 
making those phone calls to the senators' offices, going by to seeing them. Uh, Matt, you talk about you know your your city council people, your your representatives close by. Those people make more of the decisions that affect your life than anybody who happens to live on Pennsylvania Avenue. And so, yeah. those yeah. are the places to be involved and in, uh, to be engaged in things and all of that. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks for that. We'll keep at it then. Matt was about to pull the plug on the whole being engaged in the community <laughs> yeah. and stuff. But, it's but I think it's you... hard. I mean, you know, it's hard. Uh, it is. And, I, and, and again, I'm uh, as, as twice your age, you know, it is hard. There are periods when it gets um, harder, times when it gets less difficult. Um, and I, I think the short term um, expectations have to really be kept in mind when you're looking at political moods. Um, um, I listened to um, one of your competitive podcasts a few weeks ago, and they were they were talking about the um, you know the the, the 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 decrease in democracy worldwide. And unfortunately, you know there seems to be signs of that in our own culture in our own sort of area. Of course, you are both wise enough to know that we can't link any one political system to to faith or certainly to the church. And I'm not sure that American dem- dem- democratic system and certainly American capitalism is is the most akin to what Jesus wants us to do. Um, but liberal democracy uh, is is under a lot of attack in a lot of different places. And so I do think it's going to be an interesting time to see how we sort of um, come through that and resolve that you know yeah Matt do you uh, I'm trying to think of uh, how to segue from that to talk about your uh, Spotify year in review <laughs> well I can tell you how to, I life changing you how to uh, shaping the world the number five my top five artists the and number true. five artist true for you. is the Resistance Revival Chorus for the entire year of 2020. I discovered them like a week before Election Day, and I basically just listened to the album on repeat that week uh, to maintain my sanity. It's like an album of um, different gospel covers and, and things like that, but a real a real gospel style um, with some political mindedness to it. And a Woody, Woody Guthrie, Guthrie cover, cover. Just all that. And I just like, I just held on to that music uh, and the spirituality within as a lifeline all week long. So that's how it somehow gets to number five, even though I listened to it for about a week on repeat. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this is a big week. Uh, you know, not only in in most liberal democracies, uh, folks have Spotify. <laughs> there we go. And um, Spotify's rolled out your top five uh, artists. Uh, your top five songs, all that stuff. Um, Matt, I was a little disappointed in my top five songs because we use my Spotify account to play uh, lullabies at night as my daughter uh, drifts off to dreamland. Um, And so my top five were all lullabies. Which deprived me of a social graphic that I could share oh, come and on. uniquely express my unique identity, <laughs> you know? Yeah, unique identity. I don't know that my unique identity, which includes such obscure artists as Bruce Springsteen and you too. I don't know if that really <laughs> makes me a unique... We and did put it. I put it up on the on the Facebook. This list, un, untitled, our top fives hard. next to each other to see if people could guess whose was who. Um, and, and I don't think it. Uh, yeah, 
it's pretty I clear, mean, Matt. My favorite thing about that was um, many of your artists you've been talking about all year, and I have yet to check them out. <laughs> so, it just made me feel even more. Guilty. I actually was a little Resolute. curious about one of yours, Matt, because the I believe number four spot was what the Okie Dokie Brothers. The Okie Dokie Brothers. I don't think yeah. you've put them on the playlist all year. I I have not. I have not. Maybe I should though. They do have a good uh, song that might work one of these days. They do a lot of uh, like kids folk songs. I think they're from Minnesota, um, but they show up on a lot of the kids folk playlists. And it was doing a lot the year, the week that we went camping. So I guess that's how they ended up at number four. I was still surprised to find them that high, but yeah. Did either one of you have John Prine in your list? Did he show up? He did not. We did some John Prine Prine right around when he died. you know, I mean, the Bruised Oranges uh, album, uh, which was his debut album, Chicago uh, folk scene guy, uh, written at age 24, is insane how incredible the album is, hit after hit after hit, and the depth of the songs for like a 24-year-old is, is, is wild. When I was at the same institution you went to in Chicago, John Prine did a benefit concert for his old high school track to coach, who at this point was at uh, one of the Chicago metropolitan campuses. So we went from the seminary up to see him at a little concert uh, in the cafeteria uh, at one of the Circle Campus colleges. Um, and, and you may edit this part out, but uh, the funny story associated with that was that I called up to ask about where to park, you know, because I was going to go to this thing. And uh, for some reason, because of the twang in my voice, uh, one staff person played a trick on the other staff person and told them that I was John Prine. <laughs> and so, uh, so she promised to meet me along the street and show me where to park my car. You know, so um, I didn't. I didn't follow through with that, no. but we did get a chance to get a chance to hear him. You know? Um, uh, you know, I think the song I always liked that he sang was "Everybody Needs Somebody They Can Talk To," and I I, I like the way that humanizes Jesus and kind of makes us all sort of think about what it means to, you know, to 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 not to not deny the humanity that's associated with that person that we know. You know, so well, my Spotify I don't listen to Spotify enough to get a top five. I was I was scrolling that to see if I got one, so I, I'm I'm a little bit behind you guys. You know, so. The, the most recent track that, that John, or the last track he released was really good, uh, Come On Home, uh, written about a friend's uh, son who dies of a, of a, of a meth overdose. Uh, so it's really horribly sad, you know, like all good John Prine songs. John Prine songs. Um, but speaking of emo music, Matt, I believe number one was Phoebe Bridgers for me. Uh, and I had a birthday this weekend. I turned 32 again. And... Um, Hannah, my spouse, the vinyl spouse, gave me a piece of vinyl for my birthday, Matt. Uh, she gave me the Phoebe Bridges yeah. Punisher album on vinyl. Uh, so I was excited to listen to it. But then my real birthday present, Matt, is uh, uh, I have a 1963 Westinghouse console stereo uh, that I bought off of this guy who did not know what he had when his grandmother died for $100. Uh, and it works pretty okay. It's two, you know, it's got tubes. It's the whole thing. Uh, and there's a guy... Uh, in South Denver, Dr. Dan is his name, and evidently he is like the U, like the best person in the United States for working on old stereo equipment. And I took it down to him this week, and he is everything that I thought he would be. Uh, he's very eccentric. Uh, he's so good at this stuff, right? That like he'll like you have to kind of show up with your stuff, present it to him, and then he'll decide if that's something he wants to do or not. Right. <laughs> um, 
And uh, he was super, like, gruff with me and not interested. And then I pulled it out. And then he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, we're doing this. Um, <laughs> and you're like, you have to pay him $100 to look at your, to take it, right? Like, you just put $100 down for him to start to look at your stuff. Uh, and uh, he was so impressed. I didn't know this. I'm not that much of an audiophile. Uh, he was so into my piece that he, uh, he said, no deposit. You're coming back for this. Uh, so, what? so I'm supposed to call Dr. Dan. I call him in a week is how it works too. There's like a, it's so, it's so funny, uh, and, and fun. Uh, I have to call him in a week. I should expect to be done two to three weeks, but he's not going to call me. He's not going to take time out of his schedule to <laughs> tell me what he's found. So, uh, Dr. Dan, I've got a, is working on my stereo and I've got a big empty space next to my, my Christmas tree. Yeah. I noticed it's not there in the usual spot. Right. Hmm. That's exciting. That's exciting. I am. I'm excited. I, I think it can sound pretty good. He's going to replace a bunch of like capacitors and that kind of stuff. Well, cool. I don't know what that means, but I assume it's going to sound good. <laughs> That's what we're hoping for. As one who grew up with with every family hoping they could afford one of those things, it won't sound real good, but it'll sound uh, authentic. Okay, so that's all. That's all I need. Boy, I'm I'm surprised. You know, I, I still have my mama's old version of that thing. You know, we set we set poinsettias on at Christmas time. Maybe I should pull that out and see if he uh, told me that the turntable he could pull the turntable out and get two hundred dollars for it. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Uh, Matt, unrelated music note before we hit the text. Uh, I learned a fun fact today, and I just want to share it. Okay. Uh, I was listening to Song Exploder, the podcast, which is going to be a Netflix show. Did you know that, Matt? Netflix. It is a Netflix show. Is it already? Uh, well, Jewel, uh, I Was Meant For You, which was a big song for me. It's a part of the greatest musical trade I made in my life, where I completely conned somebody by trading them an All Saints album for Jewel's Pieces of You. Uh, but You Were Meant For Me, of course, is the, the, the single, and they, they explore it on Song Exploder. I did not know, Matt. My head had kind of exploded. It's pretty wild that in the... On the version of I Was Meant For You that ended up on Pieces for you, pieces of You, uh, the bass played by Flea of the Red Hot Chili Peppers. What? Re- Did not know that. Recorded at Neil Young's ranch. It's his sound studio. Wow. 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 You know, maybe that's what we should have done. Jewel Advent. Jewel Advent. Uh, you know, the... Uh, I feel like she's got a smaller catalog than Dolly Parton, but... I mean, she's slightly younger. Still. Also, I don't know if you knew this, Chris. Uh, Jewel romantically linked for a number of years with uh, Charlie Whitehurst. No. Yeah, they were an item really? for a long time. I don't think they are anymore because I've, I've, I've stalked them both on social media. But uh, former Clemson quarterback when I was a student, uh, when he was playing for the Chargers, he never played for the Chargers. He was really good at being a backup quarterback. And yeah, he was a backup quarterback to Philip Rivers who mm-hmm. went to NC State. Let's not right. forget that. And Philip so, yeah. Rivers had to work a lot harder for those millions of dollars while Charlie <laughs> stood on the sideline in San Diego <laughs> for 10 years collecting checks. Uh, which and he still has his knees. He can walk. He has, right? yeah. <laughs> he's dated Jewel. Philip Rivers has a broken body and 87 children. Um <laughs> So there you go. There you go, Matt. There's your jewel update for Goddette Sunday. Yeah. Which I believe, Matt, means it's time for the text. That I've got I've got my uh that I've got my pink. Have you got your pink on? Yeah. That's what I've, I've got to wear my pink chucks. Pastor Christmas, do you have a pink uh chasuble? 
No, we do not. And and in fact, we we we've done away with the pink candle. So I thought I thought that they were. We don't have the pink candle. We just got the four blues. Oh, are you blue? This is always important yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's um, the um, the manual on the liturgy, which was put out in 1983-82 when we got the LBW. You know, said that while it had been a tradition in some uh, areas to have a pink candle, the recommendation for the altar guild was that all four of them remain blue. Mm. So, so we we have four blue candles. They had that before I got to Saint uh, Saint Michael. Uh, also, we had four blue at Clemson, where where week after week, yes, I would start my sermons by saying grace and peace to you, my sisters and brothers <laughs> in Christ. Which is the other reason I think you invited me on the podcast is because I. I thought last We're gonna squash all the beef, uh, head. Was was why was do you start with by... that? <laughs> well, it, I, no, I, you said you needed someone question. to come on. You you said you needed someone to come on and defend it, so I'll, I'll you defend are. it. Yeah. You know, it's it's a censoring moment. You know, it's kind of a signal that uh, you know I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna say some things here that maybe are gonna be upsetting and disturbing, but. I really don't mean them to be intentional, you know, in your face. I'm That's actually be how I begin disturbed. all of my sermons. I'm likely to say something very upsetting and disturbing. Just give <laughs> it. I just go, I say those exact words. I don't. <laughs> it's also true that, you know, sometimes in, in, in the academic world, uh, the thing that people most need from God's grace is, is 12 minutes of uh, downtime, right? And so I always considered it okay if the random PhD student or faculty person happened to take a nap during those uh, 12 minutes on Sunday morning. And, you know, I just wanted to go ahead and say, grace and peace, have a nap, you know. So it's uh... <laughs> If only you knew that. If, That's if, what I had, if, I had my, if I had my brothers, I'd be taking a nap rather than listening to a sermon. <laughs> but, uh, but no, it's, uh, uh, you know. It, it, I think it's a it's a an appropriate way for me to sort of remind myself, you know, you know what we're saying. That I always hated the may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our mm. heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. You know, I'm going well. I, I don't, you know, maybe they'd be acceptable in the Lord's sight, but I, I hated that, so I had to find something different, you know. So, it also, I mean, you, you guys are in audio world. It also is a great microphone check, you know. If you've been sitting down and you can't remember if you got your microphone on or off, you know, you start that sermon, you miss that first, you know. Dr. Sully would say that first sentence has got to catch them, right? Well, what happens if your microphone wasn't on? So you realize that when you say, grace and peace to you, my sisters and brothers in Christ. Amen. So you got time to flip the button. <laughs> wow. The old button flip. So, uh, I, I don't have a pink chasuble. Uh, I don't have a, uh, a pink stole. Um, um, you know, uh, the Episcopal Church where, where we do our work here in Boulder uh, – uh, straddles the line because they have a chapel and they have a sanctuary. The chapel is blue, typically, and the sanctuary is purple. Hmm. Yeah. That's interesting. There you go. They do not use I the mean, OBW. We mostly... They do not use the OBW. Yeah. Well, they should. They should. <laughs> Maybe you could suggest that to them. <laughs> sure. We'll it, was it was green for those of you that don't remember. You know, so. Too many colors. I'm getting very confused. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but, so, so, but I always thought that the Sunday that you had the pink handle was the uh, Magnificat Sunday, anyway. So I, I was a little off in the whole, the whole sort of thing of that, right? Which could be this one. Is it it's this not week? This week. An option. It's not this well, week. It's, no? it's listed as an option for the Psalm, but it, maybe it's also an option for the Psalm next week. I don't know. So, so no pink, all blue. For me and my organist and my lay assistant, who are the only people that will be in church on Sunday. 
everybody else has to join online. So, with the virtual thing. Yeah, I mean, ours are all blue, but my former bishop would have pink. Like, he had an online prayer service, something where he was wearing pink, and I was like, how many times do you wear that during the year? And it's twice. It's right. literally twice. Yep. It's like, how do you have all these vestments that you wear twice a year? It's not even like Christmas where you could at least, like, I don't know, like, can you get repeated? I don't, some of these colors you can at least wear more than twice. I don't know. Do you have pink but chucks? You did. I do have pink chucks. Well, you can do it twice. I pink chucks. No. I have pink chucks for Breast Cancer Awareness Month. That's <laughs> literally why I have them. Because that is very important to the people it's... in my community. So when I show up in my pink chucks on the first Sunday of October, it makes people very happy about it. So I have that as a small, I, I do it. And now I like my, I got these hot pink chucks. They're great. I kind of like them. <laughs> so are you going to wear them this week in honor of, uh, you know? Well, they don't really show up on Zoom, unfortunately. Oh, so. okay. Matt needs yeah. a, a chuck cam. Right, like you need two yeah. different, a separate Zoom account that's just your feet. I'm gonna try that one week. It'll just show up on, on Zoom. So see, I did that. I did that in May. I did it in May that I did like we tried to do, uh, you know, inspired by Matt, uh, fire Bible studies, and uh, I was all excited to try it on Zoom. So I set up the laptop like at my fireplace uh, and called it the fire. And now I don't know how to change the name. So whenever I use Zoom on the laptop, uh, my name is, is Fire. <laughs> Which is better than the time uh, before or like after staff conference or whatever. I, uh, I believe I made my name uh, award-winning campus pastor, Zach Paris, and uh, did not change that before showing up to a meeting where I looked like a real asshole. <laughs> Award-winning campus pastor. Yeah, yeah. The, it works uh, in so many settings. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, the um, when I was in the little bitty town of Salisbury, North Carolina, I did convince that congregation to buy a set of gold pyramids. Now, gold pyramids you only use on Easter Sunday, and so we had a uh, a young man in the church who died. Um, prematurely and and so we were looking for some way to acknowledge him so to my knowledge that's the only congregation that i've ever been associated with that had gold pyramids including most synods but a uh, little bethel lutheran church in salisbury north carolina has got a set of gold pyramids just for uh, just for easter sunday so <laughs> incredible it's the height of opulence right so. <laughs> So, Matt, we're not going to talk about the uh, Magnificat, right? No, you don't have it in here, so I'm not... I, yeah, I, if I, I did not put it in the it, Google Doc, we don't care about it. it then it does not, it does it not count, exist. but it's it's in my Lectionary for Worship Year A Study Edition, published in 2007 by Augsburg Fortress. But I think it's a possibility for, like, this Sunday or next Sunday as an option. But it That's correct, show according like to lectionarypage.net. Yeah, is that a real website? That's a uh, Episcopal lectionary. Okay, let's stay on top of it, man. So instead, we have Isaiah. Hmm, that's right. You want to read Isaiah? I would love to read Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them uh, a garland, a lit garland, 
uh, instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit. They will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord to display his glory. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. I will faithfully give them their recompense, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants shall be known among the nations, and their offspring among the peoples, and all who see them shall acknowledge that they are a people whom the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My whole being shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with a garland. Matt, when you got married, did you wear garlands? Yeah, it was just like this. Yeah, yeah, similar story. Uh, And as, same, and as a bride adorns herself with jewels, for as the earth brings forth its shoots, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to spring up, so the Lord God will cause it righteousness and praise to spring up before all the nations. It's really a psalm, you know? Yes, well, you don't need the Magnificat. Now, this is yeah. This is in the series with serving with the servant servants, suffering servant songs, right? This is an addendum to those. Mm-hmm. All the suffering servant songs are in Second Isaiah. That sounds right, right? You would be, mm-hmm. in general, you know, good news is Second Isaiah, which is the Isaiah that uh, uh, here's a TLDR version of the of the history here. Isaiah is thought to have been written over. Uh, couple hundred years uh the first kind of part of that history is when the people were about to get sent into exile and things looked real bad uh and so first isaiah that that is known by which is the oldest part uh, is typically things in isaiah where uh, uh isaiah or god are saying uh hey you guys are real bad and unless you change something bad's going to happen uh, then something bad happens. They get sent to uh, exile, mostly in Babylon. And things that are good news, uh, hopeful things, are typically um, uh, written from the perspective of being in exile. And then the last little bit is when they get back home uh, and there's some triumphant text, and that's probably the smallest part of the book. But this is likely from Second Isaiah because it proclaims hope. Well, and I bring that up because I, I like the imagery, you know, of, of what it means to to have um, to have the anointed one as the one who makes that happen. In other words, it's that um, who's the one that brings good news, and who's the who's the uh, source of that. Um, uh, again, back to conversations we had a little bit earlier. The 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 preacher sometimes uh, thinks of themselves um, as only the one who brings the warnings or brings the the harsh part of it. Where, where's the good news that that need that that is always inherent in all of that? You know, what is the what is the comfort that we need to bring out? What is it? What's the, what's that that comes with it? Right. Um, and if that is indeed birthed out of suffering, uh, that then we always um, have to speak that word with a a lot of. Uh, uh, honesty about our own life experience and our own sort of um, uh, apprehensions about what's going on and what may be going on around us. I uh, I think what is hopeful here, um, because we're about to hear, um, get a little gospel redux. Uh, Mark is super light because we don't get any baby Jesus in Mark on uh 
pre-Christmas or even Christmas material. So uh, the lectionary makers here have got to find some other stuff. So we're in John for that. Uh, so we get John the Baptist again after having John the Baptist last week. We just get a different version of, of a similar story. Um, the Isaiah can be really helpful, I think, this week because it has so much in the way of imagery, of uh, decorating and clothing. Uh, this was always my... Um, one of the shticks I had at weddings uh, was, uh, gosh, it was a different text, uh, but a similar kind of deal where it talked about like the breastplate of righteousness. And uh, I got lots of jokes on, uh, I hope somebody, did you put the breastplate of righteousness on your registry? Did somebody, hopefully, hopefully you guys brought it uh, to work, work, work your way into stuff here. Um, so... That's good. That's good. I'm, I'm glad I was married long before you were available to officiate my wedding. So. I haven't done a wedding in a while. I don't know what it is. <laughs> it's called COVID, Zach. Oh, Nobody's getting married. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Who wants to get married in this economy? Yeah, I love the imagery in this, too. I, I, I mean, you know, clearly these first lines, this is going to be Jesus's first, um, his inaugural address here. Uh, in a couple of weeks, at least in, in loose year, but it just sounds so familiar, right? Although what I noticed is right after proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, which is, I think where Jesus ends, it says the day of vengeance of our God, <laughs> which Jesus drops that part. So he Weird. also did some selective dropping of verses, um, but it does give it a different, uh, I don't know, a little bit of, sh- little bit of shade there. Uh, but it is, it's just so much glorious imagery in here. Um, and I, I, I do like, it's just, again, laying the groundwork for what Advent is bringing into the world. We had a Bible study last night where somebody said, you know what these texts really seem to bring home for me is that this, um, this doesn't sound like God is preparing the way for, you know, an exit ramp off of this earth to somewhere else. But it, it really sounds like things are going to change here. Things are going to be rebuilt here. Things are going to be, people are going to be freed and released here. Um, and that's really what's announced here. And I think the more that, um, you know, Christmas gets fleshed out with more of those things continues to be a, a valuable thing in our religious culture. Well, and I think that eighth verse that talks about an everlasting covenant is the, is the, was one of the lines that I underlined. Um, and Matt, I'm not sure how many people, um, how many people have a sense of permanency in, in many aspects of their lives. Things change yeah. so quickly. Things change so dramatically. Um, but but here we have a promise of a covenant and a promise that's gonna that's gonna extend beyond beyond our life beyond time, and, and I and I wonder even if our parishioners can kind of comprehend that you know in which yeah. so many things that we claim are permanent aren't permanent and so many things we claim to be uh, everlasting <laughs> you know get get challenged. Um, yeah. So so I wonder if if even you know a sermon talked about what it means to, to have that permanency amidst uh, things that are temporal and things that are kind of being taken away from us uh, yeah. could be an opportunity to grow into this song. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, and, well, and just to, just like, part of the permanence, it seems, is that, like, God is able to deal with these these ruins and these devastations, right? So this building up they should build up the ancient ruins and raise up their former devastations, repair the ruined cities. I mean, this sounds so much like our economy today, our, our lives today, and that God can build that up. And guess what? It's probably going to fall apart again. But like this rhythm is part of what God lives in the midst of. So God's constancy, um, you know, responds to this changing environment in a really active way. 
one of the the the, the things that I've been interested in and learned about uh, in pandemical times are uh, victory gardens. Uh, you know, from like World War Two and stuff. Um, uh, and I've been intrigued with and tried to like think about. Spent a little bit of time thinking about what a, a victory garden might look like, and I'm, and, th- and that idea has what a victory garden might look like in these days. Um, perhaps it is just sourdough making. But uh, but you've got that last couple of lines there, right? Um, as the earth brings forth the shoot, as a garden causes what is sown to spring, sown in it to spring up, um, that there is an element of, in the midst of, in this, how transitory everything is, um, that, that planting this garden in Advent um, has a has a bit of that like Luther uh, uh, non historically factual quote right uh, plant a tree you know if the world were doing tomorrow <laughs> um, is that same sort of hope which the Godet candle is called according okay, to I'll get a new Catholicism dot is that what you wanted to do? <laughs> it's like the citations. Is this what your seminary papers? Was it like RomanCatholicism.net? <laughs> I don't know. I don't have candles at all. Internet. Well, and, and I don't know if y'all have read Marva Dawn's book, Fettered Hope, Unfettered Hope, in which she talks about how we hope. That biz. We sometimes use that word so casually, <laughs> and, and I'm, I'm with you, Zach, you know, about the, she, her her complaint is that we we, we talk about hoping for uh, a parking space when we go to the mall. We, we talk about hoping for um, better uh, job for our children. Uh, we hope for a positive turn in uh, the stock market. And I think she even says we hope for our uh, ailments and uh, illnesses to be removed. And she says that that is too small a thing to hope for. That when you talk about the hope that God gives us, you really are hoping for for world peace to kind of use the, you know. And, and so uh, what impressed me about that writing of hers was that as we talk about this hope that God has for us, it really is beyond anything that any of us would have the audacity to claim or to want. But then her criticism of, of us as preachers is that because we also have fallen victim to that, we have, we've sold short what it means to hope in God and to hope for what it is that God is going to be able to do. Yeah, and it's not just a sentiment, right? It's an active thing. It's action, right? It's not enough to to feel like you'd like a garden to grow in the winter. To to live in the hope is to go plant the garden in the middle of the winter that you that doesn't seem like it's going to grow anything. Uh, this is an audio medium and not a visual medium. Uh, but dear listeners, some people were making fun of my Christmas tree being up before the fourth Sunday of Advent behind me, um, and that's like you know it's a thing. Like my I I uh, a very few of our listeners will get this, but um, there's a the big road next to my house is called McCaslin Boulevard. Uh, and my wife has said that it feels like right now we're living in McCaslinville, uh, which is a reference to McCaddenville, a small town in North Carolina where they uh, have tons and tons of Christmas lights because everybody, I hung, I was hanging off the side of the house hanging Christmas lights. I've never put Christmas lights on the outside of the house, right? Everybody's doing all of these things when they shouldn't do them. Uh, and maybe, you know, it's not going to change the world or whatever, right? But it is an active way of living into a reality that that's not true, you know? I mean, like, in a sense, you know, like, it's not a... <laughs> yeah, New says it's not a happy, cheery Christmas season. Um, 
and that's a bit of what it, I think it looks like to live in hope is to to live as if the covenant might be true. And so, what do we do in the church uh, to make sure that that opportunity to glimpse hope is as apparent and as uh, striking as you know your street? In other words, culturally. We put up all these lights early. Maybe we're putting our stuff up early, too, because we need some symbol of hope. Why is it or how is it that we as preachers have allowed those things to be the thing that brings hope into people's lives as opposed to the blessings of Almighty God, which we offer through our humble service? Mm That's a failure on our part as preachers in the church, not a condemnation of the world. Uh, but 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 I, but I hear you, and and I I, I I would agree with you. And I, I apologize to you for making fun of you putting your tree up on the before the fourth Sunday. What I hear you saying is that we need to be worshiping in person. Um, <laughs> well, maybe where you live, but not where we live in South Carolina. We, we're now at a, no, we, we we had a twenty one point six percent positivity rate of COVID tests yesterday Ooh. in uh, in South Carolina. Twenty one point six. We we invented a new color. <laughs> we invented code purple, so we didn't have to go to the the highest code. Well, let's talk about the yes, gospel. Hope. <laughs> let's talk about it, uh, John. Chapter 1, 6 to 8, 19 to 28. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. This is the testimony given by John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny it, but confessed, Well, I'm not the Messiah. And they asked him, Well, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? He said, no. And they said to him, well, who are you? Let us have an answer for those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. And so they asked him, why then are you baptizing if you are neither the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? And John answered them, I baptize with water. Among you stands one whom you do not know, the one who is coming after me. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandal. And this took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. Gospel of the Lord. Praise you, Christ. So I was really struck. Uh, I went back to see what the lines are right before this uh, because this line he came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him himself was not the light but came to testify to the light well that ties back to uh, verses 4 and 5 here where it talks about the life was the light of all people the light shines in the darkness and the darkness does not overcome it and it feels to me like then these lines um, uh, follow from that little opening that prelude um, that here it is, I mean, we can talk about this light and darkness and the unhelpfulness of some of that imagery uh, when when used inappropriately. But that that kind of struggle between two forces in the world, uh, a good force and a bad force, we see some of that here, right? Like this struggle, this interrogation, this back and forth. Um, and I feel like that's kind of set up in those opening verses of John, which we don't get here. It helps the rest of this make a little bit more sense in the larger narrative. 
Yeah, it's it's it, it is it is interesting that you have. So last week we got introduced to John the Baptist uh, that had a little more like John the Baptist imagery. We had uh, locusts, camel's hair, honey, that whole whole deal. And you get a similar story this week, but now you're speaking in the language of John, and that shift can feel pretty. Ab- John's its own thing, you know, like in this 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 reading is cut up too, right? Like nine to to eighteen is cut out here and in part because it doesn't it this helps it become more of a narrative, but it's also cutting a ton of like John language. Yeah. Because John yeah. like uses all the buzzwords and stuff. Um so so it would be helpful, I think, you know, to unpack some of the John stuff which is again it's a shame that you don't have like a John year in the lectionary when you can actually like yep we need a revised revised common lectionary revised it's been a while right like been a while <laughs> stained I think we get too much John quite honestly he's not my favorite gospel even though I know it was Martin Luther's you know I would rather theologize within God's people than read uh, the theology from John but um, but I'm, I'm not, you know, I wouldn't be opposed to that new lectionary you two put together. You know, you could, there's another podcast that sometimes uh, promotes its own uh, lectionary. And it's it's interesting to see the biases of the people who put together their own lectionary, you know, as far as what it is they're looking mm-hmm. for. And I can see the two of you would, uh, would look would look at John, you know, so. I think we would put together a real narrative lectionary. Real narrative. That's what we, it would be a, a lectionary that includes narratives. Okay, okay. okay. Uh, That's what we call it. I, I, I'll tell you what I always like in this passage to think about, and I've never preached on it, is, uh, and I don't know what the Greek is because I, I didn't, my Greek wasn't that good, um, worse than my German even. Um, you know, he says, he did not confess, but he, he did not deny it. He confessed, I am not the Christ. What is in that use of that word, you know, that he confesses, as opposed to simply saying, he denied or he, he acknowledged who he was, you know, but, but where is the confession in that? You know, is there is there something to that? Is there – and, of course, he's saying these things, I'm, I'm pretty sure, in response to the those who wanted to make of him something that he wasn't. Um, and so he could say, you've got it wrong, but that's different from saying he confessed. If he confessed, uh, is there any part in which he needed to acknowledge the ways in which he – had allowed the mistaken notion to be perpetuated that he was something that he wasn't, and and maybe that's a lesson for all of us to 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 be aware of that that is that, that this light which comes into the world makes it clear, you know, that we're not who some people may think we are and who we sometimes even allow people to think we might be. Yeah, homo logo. Homo logo. What is that? That's confess to confess. Oh. Homo logeo. Is it the same one that was used logos, last? Homo logos. Same logos. What? Is it the same word that was used last week when all the people went out to him to confess? Uh, no. No. Different. Different word for confess. Oh, different word. What, what word did they use for for their confession? You made me look smart for a second. I better. <laughs> you were pretending to be something that you aren't, Zach. That was. Uh, you uh, no, no. It's uh, so it's not used until Matthew seven in uh, in Matthew. Um, but I can look that yeah, up for you yeah. real quick. Well, in English, 
there were all these people going out confessing their sin, and that seemed to be important last week, that like public confession of their sin. And now this week, he's confessing something about his identity. It, it does seem like this um, thing that gets carried, confession as a part of Advent. That's an interesting... Oof, I like that. Oof. Uh, it is important to note, our friends, Rora Molina, our social science uh, folks, uh, that when they ask, who are you, uh, that's a very, uh, that it was not understood as meaning, tell me about your personal beliefs, values, or convictions. It meant simply, where were you born? Who are your parents? Because those were the only things that mattered in determining your social status. Um, so that's what they're they're getting at. They want to know where to put, what box to put, to put John in. And John refuses to answer that question. And in fact, right, his answer is a rebuttal of that whole system of thinking. Um, and, and that's not that far away, right? Like, um, one of the things that as a campus pastor I've developed, right, is some very particular ways to engage students in conversation. Um, right. So when I talk to a student, I ask, uh, where is home for you? Uh, you know, because I don't want to presuppose all these things to put them in the boxes because they're used to those questions, right? Uh, what's your name, hometown major? And then I can put you in the box you go in. Uh, but to try to open that up because that's not a, a, an efficient, not efficient, not effective way of knowing someone else. Uh, and so the line that really sticks out for me here is when I thought John was going to talk about a winnowing fork and fire. Uh, he says, I baptize with water. And then there's this, this phrase, among you stands one whom you do not know. Um, and I think I just found that really powerful this time through. Uh, he's referencing Jesus. But the truth is they don't know who John is either. Um, there are many people in the midst of these. Um, if you're going to contrast and compare, this week we have some bad guys coming out to the wilderness to see John, whereas last last week it was the crowds. It was a sign of John's power. But here there's more of an antagonistic relationship between John and these people. Um, and John's really, the story is revealing that these people with power, they don't know. There are so many they do not know. Um, and uh, because, you know, I still don't believe in the Enneagram, but as a four, right, is there anything... Uh, more human than not feeling known, like being among a community where you are not known. Um, and so to, to what I would do, what I will do, because I'm preaching this week, guys, um, uh, on God, with a pink handle uh, at St. Aidan's Episcopal Church, um, is I would establish that sort of like as the reality, like a, a, that experience in these days, you know, in this economy, uh, who among us does not feel um Known, but that the good news is, uh, if you're unknown, it's not because you're unimportant. It's it's in fact the opposite of that. That God dwells most, um, most especially in and among the unknown. Well, that sounds like unknown to the world, right? Because John, so clear, like he just so clearly knows himself. Like I'm just so like. I'm very envious of this like clarity that he has about who he is not and who he is, right? Like he's just really super clear about it. Um, I am not the Messiah, but here's here's who I am. I am the voice. Uh, and you were talking about different ways of understanding your identity, right? Being part of a family or being part of a community or knowing what your top five Spotify songs for 2020 are. Another way to understand your own unique identity. The most important way. Yeah. You can only post your top five songs, Zach. That would really help us to understand who you are. I wish I had them. I wish I had them. <laughs> 
but he knows he knows himself and somehow that becomes really important and for the next thing that he says i baptize with water but then he begins to talk about the one who is coming after him and it just it feels like those things are really important um in order to know to know god to know your community to know yourself um and where God is in the midst of all that identity formation. I don't know if you're into identity formation, Zach, if that's a thing that you're Not interested in professionally. Nah, <laughs> don't care. But it seems like this could be a text about identity and identity formation. So there's there's this looking ahead, right? But also, like, I think it's interesting that the, among you stands uh, uh, present tense, one whom you do not know. Uh, this one is coming, but is also already here among you. Um, if if I was a cool youth pastor right now, uh, I would totally use this to talk about this game Among Us, uh, which oh. I played one time, and it totally I just could not understand it at all. But it's a thing. Really, we gotta play it. We gotta play it on if a Thursday night. In I high play school, it with students. Yeah, this would be an incredible. You could do a, you could do such a good sermon reference. You know, who would think me into mm-hmm. it? <laughs> I like it. I like it. We found the title for this week. I mean, it's, that's the t- uh, that's the theme verse for this game, right? Among you stands one who yeah. we do not know. Mm-hmm. There you go. There's your but sermon, it Zach. It's not, for it's not the imposter. It's not the imposter. <laughs> oh, Matt, what are you listening to? Do you what? know what you're listening to? <laughs> What am I listening to? Well, I the songs that came to mind for me as I was reading through this, um, these last lines in Isaiah uh, and the garden, the shoots spring up to spring up that God will cause righteousness and praise to spring up uh, before all the nations. So I'll throw a rise up on your day on there. Um, and then this is the Sunday of joy. And so one of my top five artists, I'll throw this joy from Resistance Revival Chorus. And that was really the song that got me into them. It's uh, a cover of a Shirley Caesar song. And, and the, the verses just go, this joy that I have, the world didn't give it to me. Uh, this joy that I have, the world didn't give it to me. This joy that I have, the world didn't give it to me. The world didn't give it to me. And the world can't take it away. And it almost has the tune of like this little light of mine. It kind of continues like that. It's just such a powerful little thing to to hold on to in the midst of this. So if you need a song about joy, I think that's a, a pretty fierce one in these days uh and then finally uh another song that was on my as i'm looking back at my 2020 list i felt like i had to do that this this week uh one uh joyful song for me is a cover of the steve winwood song higher love uh it's a cover by whitney houston uh and the electronic artist the resurrection yeah so good so um yeah we'll put those three songs on there i like it I got two I might throw into the list. Um, <clears throat> I don't know if you know the artist Brandy Carlisle, but she has a song entitled "That Wasn't Me." <laughs> I don't know if you know. Uh, Brandy. And and so did you know she's kind of Lutheran? Is she? No, I didn't know that. Her uh, wife worships regularly at a Lutheran church in oh, Seattle, oh. and so uh, according to the Lutheran clergy of that part of the world, if you're doing supply at that church, yeah, unnamed church, you might see Brandy. Well, she doesn't figure into a lost and found song, you know, famous Lutheran. So I, I wouldn't know who she was. We wouldn't know that until now, you know. So I, I kind of my last famous known Wilt Lutheran was Dale Earnhardt Jr., but that's okay. Um, but but in her song that wasn't me, you know, she struggles with who is the me that you know and who's the who is the uh, who am I actually and 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 sort of like John knowing who she is and who she's not but I like the way that song sort of asks you you know 
what it is that you uh, who is the real me and, and and that wasn't me but this is me and and what would people what would people say about us you know to, as far as who we're going to be so I would I would offer that song in there too so and and not that it pertains pertains to the text but the other one I think I mentioned earlier to you guys was uh, a Jason Isbell song what have I done to help and so I think when you think about what it means to kind of be in, engaged and involved in the uh, the ongoing work of God in the world you know I like I like his uh, his challenge that comes through that lyric nice Jason Isbell number five on my list I did not uh, choose anybody from my list uh, that was very unsurprising list um but, uh, you know, you don't know how it feels, uh, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Uh, oh, it's such a good song, number one, and, you know, it goes with the whole not being known thing. Uh, then, reflecting back on our advent of Dolly, there is no Sunday in Advent that is more Dolly Parton thing than Godette Sunday. Because uh, it's like, you know, this, this mini Easter and butterflies and pink, it's all Dolly. And we've got another story of John the Baptist shows up again. Uh, so here you come again, John the Baptist, uh, showing up here with Dolly. And finally, my daughter's current favorite artist of the week is The Weeknd, who Matt and I saw very briefly before what? we do deuced... your daughter's favorite artist? <laughs> is The Weeknd. Uh, Matt and I deuced out on The Weeknd headlining Coachella to go see Jamiroquai and Snoop Dogg. Um, but Blinding Lights, uh, John came to testify to the life. Uh, to the photos, uh, I'm blinded by the light, though I am assured by my daughter that I'm singing the wrong words when I sing it, uh, and that the correct words are when I drive into the light. <laughs> and then I was like, well, I think it's actually, I'm blinded by the lights. And she said, no, I've listened to this very closely. Uh, and she said this in a kind of mean way that hurt my feelings. Uh, I've listened to it very closely, and I know it's I'm driving into lights. <laughs> I'm just shocked that um, your daughter has a hot take about something that someone <laughs> you brought into this world somehow has a hot take. I regret so many of the choices I've made. She wakes up at 100 miles an hour, right? And I swear to you, the first words out of her mouth, like we joked early on that her first words would be actually, because uh, Hannah and I say it to it back and forth to each other a lot, actually, and we like correct each other because we like being right. Um, so I've actively tried to not say actually anymore. And so instead, all of her sentences now begin with, did you know, uh, as a different way of correcting you and presenting you with information. <laughs> Incredible. <sighs> but there you have it, man. There you have it. Matt, well, I'm excited that we got to make like the Wendy's lady uh, and squash some beef. We found the beef. Um, <laughs> I think the next challenge, hopefully, is to either get Eunice Laymacher or Lindsey Graham on the podcast uh, would, to sort out the next level. Who would you like first? I'll, I'll, I'll contact both of them. And see, you know. Um, I just, I actually would be really interested to listen to our episode with Lindsey. I, I would like, be too. Would I, I, would, I think that'd be very, uh, you know, um, he's not quite as uh, gullible as, as um, Rudy Giuliani, but maybe we can you know, do one of those spoof phone calls and you'll think that oh, you're somebody that would other be than good. who you are, you know. So. You get us his number and we'll do that. <laughs> um, I do, I hope you heard uh, a registered Republican uh 
who I may share genetic material with uh, in North Carolina, said that he would drive, he would move to South Carolina just to vote against Lindsey. Oh, he would. Well, that's that's good. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell him to tell him to come on down. We we needed about uh, uh, twenty eight thousand more of those in Pickens County alone, and mm-hmm. we could have could have swayed that election, you know. So. But, mm-hmm. but Jamie will be back. Jamie will be back. We we love Jamie Harris. Yeah, very impressive, Jamie. Yeah. But I appreciate the chance to uh, to reclaim my honor, and uh, you know, uh, I, I do listen to the podcast just to point out your errors more than anything else. But uh, <laughs> but it's uh, it's always, uh, always next a joy. week. Next week we're going back to the Carolinas, Matt. Uh, we uh, to talk to somebody who um, we've got some beef with. Someone, uh, the ubiquitous Tim Brown, uh, who you went to college with, Matt. Uh, old Valpo yeah, combo with Tim Brown. Mm-hmm. So uh, get ready for that. Tim Brown's been trying to step on our corner on the internet, and we're going to squash that beef. Wow, we didn't. I didn't know this was a, like a beef advent. <laughs> Neither did I until we started recording today, and then I saw it for what it was. <laughs> Are we going to get the good bishop of the... Uh, Southeastern Senate? <laughs> uh, I don't know if we can get Kevin Strickland anymore. He doesn't have time for us. He's already elected. He doesn't need to get reelected yet. That's true. Yeah. We'll wait a few years. <laughs> as I remember, he didn't have time for you before. Uh, it's, also, <laughs> it's also true. Also true. Well, Matt, it's been real. Real vinyl.